episode 213, She's in Bed. This is the Ericast for the week of March 31, 2013. From Ericast.com. Welcome to the Ericast. All right, thanks for listening to the Ericast. I'm your host, Eric Larson, 206-339-3742, the listener feedback line, which is what gets featured this week because it's listener feedback week. Now, I was trying to figure out what to title this because I can't title every listener feedback week episode listener feedback week because even though that is three words, it would get a little bit confusing at some point. So I needed something unique. Well, today is Easter. Easter 2013 is when this is being recorded and distributed. I actually went down uh, to the basement Studio A because I kind of I'll see if uh, maybe I'll since I have tomorrow off the benefit of working at a religiously affiliated institution, you get Easter Monday off, so I might actually do the posting tomorrow. But it's kind of nice to have the March 31st episode coming out on March 31st rather than the March 31st date coming out in April. That's a little confusing. Um, But the reason that Easter is particularly interesting this week, this year, this time, is Chloe was fighting a... I don't really want to call it a cold because it was just a fever and a headache. It wasn't really a cough or sneezing or whatever, but some sort of virus-type thing. She got better than Candela caught it. So while Ruth and Chloe went to church and the family dinner and all that sort of stuff, I stayed home with Candela. And we slept, and we played Plants vs. Zombies. And that's about it, actually. <laughs> um, so now, now that it's actually evening, and we're sort of back to the regular schedule, like, hey, the girls are sleeping in their beds in the normal sleep schedule, I can run down and do a podcast. So here I am. Thus the Hopefully not crass joke that, as we say around Easter, he is risen. He is risen indeed, is how you're supposed to respond. Um, but in Candela's case, she's in bed. <laughs> she is not risen. But she's not dead, which is good. So that is the scoop. Um, we have calls this week from Tom, Chad, and Matt. And I think I'm going to start with Tom's call. This, I believe, is in rough chronological order. I'm a little bit uh, off in my... Um, by import schedule, K7.net isn't emailing me the files anymore, so I have to download them before they disappear, and then I kind of lose the timestamps and stuff. But I think Tom was the first to call in. Um, he was talking about Steve Moore. So um, take it away, Tom. Or wait, I should say, take it away, Tom. Eric, Tom, how can you calling? Well, I just wanted to say that you made a really interesting reference in your last show but I have no idea what it's about either. Because, you see, I'm getting old as well. Yeah. I seriously chase them today because I, I hardly even watch SNL. I'm trying to remember what you're referring to. You're going to have to remind me, pal. Uh, love for the show. I had a really good time listening on the way home. And a question occurred to me, is it possible that this drummer changed his routine once the YouTube video became popular. I mean, was he doing this before the video became a breakout hit? Or did the video beget his future performances? And I wonder what his bandmates think of all this. I mean, you get a lot of attention. It's a flash in the pan, maybe even more so these days because it's on the interwebs. 
but he's playing on a Wednesday night in Ankeley in Minnesota. I mean, it didn't exactly work out that well for him, did it? Kind of harsh, but true. The other thing I want to say, very lovingly, is that if you have any listeners that are in the Southern Hemisphere, they may not think of North Dakota as being up. All right. You have a great night. Take care. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a great evening, pal. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Um, I want, you know, first of all, I would bet a large quantity of money that I don't have any listeners in that's in the Southern Hemisphere. That said, I wonder if the Southern Hemisphere does have any difference between up and down? Like, to them, is the equator up? Is it that whole Eurocentric thing, technical term, um, with the you know, the North Pole, etc., Defining up, because when you think about it, boy, that would just be really. St- that's so strange. When you, like, if you were in Australia, the sun is going to be in the south at noon, north at noon, not south. The sun will be in the south at. I just I. Maybe it's just been way too long a day, but that's, um, I have to think that one through. Wow. Man, it just totally blows your mind, man. It's like cats on catnip, man. Have you ever looked at your paw? I mean, really looked at your paw? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Steve Moore, the mad drummer. There are a couple, um, Interviews out there. If you just Google Steve Moore interview, you'll find you'll find some some stuff there. Um, oh, by the way, to the rest of you who might be concerned, I did send Tom some links to the um, the Jason Sudeikis. Um, oh, I'm completely blanking on the name of. Um, I want to say it's Will something, but I can think of it as Will Wheaton and board games from my friend Brett. Um, Will Forte. There we go. See, if I pause awkwardly long enough, it will eventually come to me. Anyway, uh, to kind of clue him in on the ladies' bowling stuff. Pete Stink and... Greg Stink and Pete Twinkle, is that it? Anyway, so Steve Moore, drumming, etc. From musicradar.com, there's an interview out there. Uh, where they asked him, so the style that you developed to play with Rick Kay and the All-Nighters, that's you doing a showbiz thing, right? <laughs> I guess they kind of had to ask as opposed to, like, are you really like this? Um, and Steve said, sure, we're a fun theatrical cover band. We make it like a variety show. The flashy drumming goes along with all that. Before I joined up with Rick Kay, I was in real heavy bands, very much in the style of Dream Theater, Pantera, Slayer, Testament, that kind of thing. I've always been something of a showman. I like to give people something to watch, a little flair. Then when I joined Rick Candy All Nighters, the whole approach just grew. Plus, you have to understand, I went from playing anthraxy kind of songs to things like Run Around Sue and Your Mama Don't Dance. Doing the showboating thing was something I started to entertain myself as well as the people. 
So then, to Tom's point, uh, the interviewer asked, did the band ever at any time ask you, to tone, ask you to tone it down? And Steve says, no, never, not one time. I give Rick a lot of credit, too. Most singers would be like, hey, it's my band, stop showing me up. But that's never been an issue with Rick. In fact, he's always tried to highlight me. He's been my biggest supporter. And the band is doing better than ever. We do about 200 shows a year, and everything's been going great. The video certainly helped gain us exposure. Lots of people know our name now because of it. So all in all, it's been a total blessing. And here's the quote I think I mentioned in I think I mentioned in the episode. Um this is actually from a City Pages interview, City Pages being one of our local um music independent newspaper things. Um someone asked um the interviewer asked, one thing that struck out uh, stuck out to me, usually with these bursts, these sort of internet phenomenons, usually people um a lot of people are sort of derisive or sarcastic, but in your case, speaking of Steve and Rick Kay, in your case, it seems people have really um, been genuinely supportive and just think it's pretty awesome. What's that like to get that kind of sudden outpouring of support? And Steve says, if you were to ask me why do I think that happened or why that's happening, I have to answer because it's genuine. It's simply genuine. I'm not trying to imp- impress anybody by doing what I'm doing. I certainly don't think that I'm a Mark, uh, Mike Portnoy or a lot of other people compare me to Keith Moon. There's no comparison. There is no comparison. Keith Moon was a legend, period. I'm not trying to become like that. I'm not necessarily doing it to make people compare me to that. I'm just having a blast. The things I do on stage, I mean, I practice. I certainly practice, but the things that happen on stage, they basically happen on their own. I don't really force that. I don't make that happen. I don't go out on stage and say, oh, here's the part where I got to throw a stick in the air. I think people see it. And they know that I'm not trying to fool anybody. I'm not trying to act like I'm having fun to get rich or something. I'm having the time of my life when I'm playing my drums. And I think it's just because people feel that and they sense it and they know it's real. And they get a genuine tickle out of it. And I'm the same way. Everybody is. This is, this is interesting. I think I've quoted this before. And if not, here you go. Um, as ridiculous as this may sound, Steve says, if a drummer was to comment on my playing and say something along the lines of this particular fill was a very tight fill or this particular beat was a very technical beat or compliment my playing in some way and was nice and professional about it versus some 65-year-old guy happens to see it and just says, oh, that's funnier now. I've laughed all day. That means more to me. I'm not trying to impress drummers. You know, I wish I could. I mean, I wish I was Mark, Mike Portnoy. I wish I was Stuart Copeland. I wish I was Steve Glatt. And I, Eric, as an aside, I'm going to assume that these are drummers. I'm really not a drumming guy to know the famous drummers. But anyway, um, Steve continues. I'm, ju- I'm, not, I'm just not that guy. I'm not this technical, incredible guru. I'm just a guy playing drums and having a blast. If people just enjoy that, that actually means more to me than getting props from some technical guy. And so I think it's kind of cool. Um, since I'm just one of those guys, I'm not quite 65 yet, but I'm just one of those, hey, you know, I just think it's really cool. So, so there you go, Tom. I hope that answers your question. Uh, Google Steve Moore, M-O-O-R-E, for um, more interviews and stuff. But it really does sound like they're happy doing what they're doing. Uh, he's, you know, had a fun time, you know, doing a couple of gigs that he's done and stuff. But, you know, they're they're on the road and it pays the bills and you know, not everybody needs to get super famous to be happy. Um, I, you know, tangent, I went to the social media breakfast um, this past Friday. Um, 
The, the Minneapolis St. Paul Social Media Breakfast, I believe, is the largest social media breakfast in the nation. Um, these were started a few years ago as kind of a trend, and um, whoever got the idea basically said, "Hey, you want to start one? Start one. That's great." You know, I'm not going to claim you know copyright on the name or whatever. Um, I, you've got my full support. And the Twin Cities one, um, frankly, based on the Twin Cities market. Um, for those of you that aren't in the Twin Cities, um, we do have a strong artistic community. We do have a strong startup community. We do have a strong technology community. So we might not be, um, you know, Silicon Valley on the technology side. We might not be, you know, Broadway and, you know, Manhattan proper on the, the theater side, et cetera, et cetera. But we've got a solid enough community in all of those various areas, um, marketing ad agencies are pretty strong. So that gives you kind of a critical mass in everything. So our social media breakfast, which is sort of the, the crossroads of all of those different things, technical term, um, has gotten pretty big. Anyway, there was lots of talk among that panel. Um, in fact, Jen Kane, who's one of our local, um, marketing people um, had made the comment of, of you know, running herself ragged or having the opportunity to run herself ragged, doing all, all these things and being at the top of this or top of that. Um, and she said, you know, okay, so if I do all this and I'm really, really successful, you know, what do I get, a pony? She said, no. <laughs> if anything, I'm going to get a divorce. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I'm going to end up getting. Um, and there was that... Um, Eric Hansen talked about being on the, you know, on the hamster wheel, you know, trying to keep up. And one of the things I tweeted out, and I feel really, really strongly about this, even though I have some, uh, you know, I sometimes wonder, you know, should I, you know, find some sort of niche to monetize or, you know, whatever. Um, Garrick Van Buren still says, I am my niche and I can be the best me there is, right? Um, but anyway, the, you know, what I tweeted out is, look, if unless you're really going to go whole hog and be like 110% on that hamster wheel, yes, I know it's mathematically impossible to run with the metaphor, because it's a metaphor, you're not on a real hamster wheel. So 110% on that hamster wheel. You know, unless you're really going to go all out, my thought is don't even bother trying. You know, Don't even bother saying, well, maybe I'll only do like, I'll be 95%. Because I think what's going to happen, say that you're like, you know, your job is 95% of your life and your family and everything gets squeezed into that remaining 5%. Well, the 5% that you give your family is not going to be enough. You might as well just not bother at all. And that 95% versus the 100% or whatever number you want to pick um, given to your job means that you can still be outpaced or outranked. So, why not get whatever the appropriate number is? We I mean, don't slack off and, and, you know, do the Homer Simpson thing, but, you know, whatever the appropriate number is for your job, you know, 80% of your life or 75 or something, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, plus some extra, do the math, you know, whatever. You got to work sleep into there, but, um, you know, if you're, if you're not going to do the, my work is my life, this is my career thing, and just go full bore, then I would say don't even bother. Do a good job, you know, good reputation, and you'll know, do the ethical thing. But, um, yeah, 
take the rest of the time and dedicate it to your family. De- dedicate it to the things that only you can do. You know, um, I love what I do as as a as a job and a career, um, but I am the only dad my girls are going to have. Um, Unless there was something planned that I don't know about, but as far as I know, um, as far as I know, I'm it. So that's the thing that I have to be fully dedicated to. And part of that dedication is being a good employee and citizen and provider, which means that I need to be dedicated to my work. But you know, I could I could easily spend twelve or fourteen hours a day at my job and Maybe I would be loved by my client base a little bit more. Maybe things would be done slightly more quickly. Maybe I could develop some sort of niche name for myself as the nation's leader in academic technology consultation. But to what end? And if I were single, you know, we have, um, you know, we coached debate back um, before Candela was born. So that's like 10 years ago. Um, and many, many good experiences, great memories. It's, that's outstanding. Then you get to kind of watch the, the debaters as they grow and mature and become their own independent people out there after college, etc. Many of them became lawyers. Kind of interesting. I suppose that's not, not surprising statistically, but um, we, had, we had a good base there. Um, one of them graduated from high school, went to Harvard, Harvard Law, became a lawyer, was a successful lawyer, then left the legal field to become an independent businesswoman selling lingerie. And that's not one of those bunny quotes, you know, (laughs) nudge, nudge, wink, wink. That's what you call it these days. No, she actually is, basically, she found as a professional in the legal career, where would you go for you know, undergarments that are that that fit well, are comfortable, are appropriate for professional attire, and yet are things that are you know you know pleasant and pretty and whatever that that you'd like to wear. I don't know, I'm a guy; I don't really understand these things. But uh, she did her market research and realized that there's a niche there, and she you know that's what she did. Okay, um, she's. My math is right. She's not 30 yet. Um, single, very successful. That she's doing, she's doing her thing. That is great. It's really, really cool. So I look at that and I don't say, "Oh man, I wish I." I was going to say, "I wish I could be her." Well, that'd be just kind of weird. But you know, I wish I could have the equivalent success in my field. Well, for me to be successful, I really, and not to sound sappy or shallow or weird or you know, go all Paul Ingalls on you, but. Um, you know, it really, it's it. It's about being a dad. You know, um, I always put the dad thing first, and people say, you know, husband too, Eric. You know, I talk about spending time with the family. I, you know, I talk more about the girls than with Ruth. And there, there probably is a there's a practical element there that I married really, really well. So Ruth is grown up, and for the most part, can take care of herself. And if I if I slack off on my husband duties, then we can kind of iron that out later. But um, the kind of dad thing. The the advice I got from my advisor, um, Nick Nisley, when I was uh, doing my grad work in human resource development, and right at the same time I started that program, we we found out we were pregnant. No, 
Ruth found out she was pregnant and she told me. Not really much of a we there. That was really Ruth doing all the work. Um, credit to Ruth. Um, anyway, and so I told him, like, you know, yeah, hey, you know, yay, you know, we're, we're having our first child, et cetera. And he said, you know, it'll change your life. I'm like, yeah, I know, you know, the schedules and stuff and late nights and won't be getting much sleep anymore. Haha. <laughs> and he looked at me. He was not a very, like, hardcore, serious guy. He was pretty laid back. Um, casual friendly but he looked at me with this look and he said no it will change your life hmm and it was it was it was good but a little bit scary and, and intimidating um and that's true um, all of the the Aircast listeners that i know of are parents there's probably a um Silent majority of you out there um, who might not be, but those of you who call in, you're all parents. So I'm speaking to you guys directly, and you know what I mean, and you know how hard it is to really convey that other than a stare from your advisor across the desk. Um, it's how hard it is to convey that it gives you a different perspective, it gives you different priorities, um, it it, in my case, uh, just a different demeanor and attitude. Um, and that's fine that it's not for everybody, but I am very definitely a better person for it. So um, I think what I'm going to do, since Chad's call had a lot of content in it, um, I think I'm going to save that for another week. Um, speaking of good dads, I am going to... Um, close out this week with a call from from Matt um, out in, in California, partly because I want to hear from somebody where it's warm. <laughs> the temperature actually has been dropping the past couple days. So like the high was 38 or something here today on Easter. Uh, made it into the 40s yesterday. But speaking of good dads, because um, Matt connected when uh, with me when Chloe was born, and so that's the connection that that, uh, that Matt and I have. Um, you know, customer service and stuff, and some similar things. But fundamentally, we are both dads, and um, it's not always easy, but it uh, it is fun. So, um, so I'll come back at the end here. But let's uh, let's hear from Matt. Hello, Eric. This is Matt calling from California. I uh, just listened to your latest episode um, about abandoned roads and archive and a brush with Twitter fame. Uh, first, let me say uh, I love archive.org. My very first website was members.aol.com slash something or other. Um, and every once in a while, I will uh, go out there and I've already taken some screen grabs uh, and saved that just. To, to have it, I wish I would have kept the original file because not all the files are there. But um, I, I had a website, you know, back then in the in the 90s that was like a blog before there were really blogs. I just went up and updated it every, you know, every couple days or every week, and I pushed the other content down. So it kind of was like a blog, but obviously not um, in the same format. And, that kind of thing, but uh, I wish I'd have kept all those original files. Um, that would have uh, that would have been smart of me. But uh, it is fun to go back on archive.org, and I did not uh, think about the fact that if there's a new owner of the domain, that they could do that. So maybe that's why I've I've never um, uh, I've never 
gotten rid of any of my domains. Well, some of them. I'm not getting rid of my longest one. I think I told you about that. Anyway, um, and then very cool about your your brush with Twitter fame. I don't think I've ever had something that cool happen to me online. Although I've tried to get Weird Al to tweet me back for years. I gave up a long time ago because he's just never going to know who I am. Anyway, um, all right. Have a good rest of the week there in uh, the cold, cold land while it's uh, about 56 degrees at 8.30 in the morning here in California. See you, Eric. Bye. Okay, I'm really trying not to be jealous. <laughs> I did um, glue up the XLR connector onto the battery for the E-Zip. The E-Zip bicycle. Does anyone remember the E-Zip? And the, the huge, huge influx of Aircast listeners when I was podcasting about the E-Zip bike. Well, I still have it. Um, but last year I had it plugged in and Kendall knocked the battery over and the, the battery, which has like two lead acid batteries, in it, it's pretty heavy. And with the XLR connector thing plugged in, cause it uses an XLR, um, no particular reason the third pin they have not do anything with, but it's a convenient way of, um, of, uh, keeping your polarization correct. So sure, I guess. But unfortunately, with a plastic jack, it just broke right in. So I thought, oh, I could replace that with a jack from Radio Shack and invest $7. But it turns out that their their nice, fancy metal jack is slightly too big. So I had to take that back, do the return, which was surprisingly difficult, but that's fine, and then pull out the 5-minute epoxy and epoxy up the old jack. So we'll hope that it stays for a while. Anyway, point being, um, during our brief brush with something close to 50, I did get the bike out and... Get a couple miles on the bike. But anyway, um, yeah, that's so. Chad, um, thank you for calling, and we will get to your call with a special dedicated episode because Chad was talking about um, a lot of things, including iMovie, which is uh, still trying to figure out that uh, movie workflow. Yeah, lots of irons in the fire. I keep thinking maybe I should try trimming, trimming, tweaking, whatever. I've got a, I've got a few of them plucked out. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll see what April brings. So anyway, uh, 206-339-3742, the listener feedback line, you know that. Spelled out as 206-339-ERIC. Um, keep those calls coming, because uh, whether I actually play them or not, they are A, encouraging, and B, they do inform what future ERICast episodes will be. So call 206-339-3742. And until next week, take care. Thanks for listening to the Ericast from Ericast.com. Visit us at www.ericast.com.